The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to today's program. When you look at the reports from Bloomberg and Factset, Fact it is not a doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. The stock market this past week and two weeks has had some rough times lately, and definitely more than normal volatility. Well, the S and P 500 fell to the index fell 4.1 percent last week. Capping off its first three-week downturn since 2016. The index also experienced its um, first seven-day decline since January and February's correction. Well, it's a real problem. It's bounced back, and uh, that's good. With all eyes on the market, though, we'd like to focus today's program on some very key questions. Questions are, what are the causes of last week's freakout? I mean, that's what it was. It just seemed to get out of control. What, what's changed? What hasn't? Is the beginning? Is this the beginning of a bigger and longer-lasting sell-off? Well, that's some questions. We're going to try to figure these out. And what can we see as the investor? What can we expect from here? My guest is Rusty Leonard, CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, and he's going to answer those questions. Also, what are some questions that you ask when you are experiencing that anxiety that a volatile market causes? Well, Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan are here. They've got questions. they got answers and some questions for you to ask when you're going through that anxiety or stress when last week takes place. Well, from our Did You Know file, some of you might remember this from 31 years ago. That is, if you're old enough to remember that, in spite of tumbling 20.5% on the single day, the trading day of 1019, that's October the 19th of 1987, it's referred to, and most of us remember this, Black Monday, the S&P 500 gained 5.3% total return for the entire 1987 calendar year. That tells you that volatility actually took place 31 years ago. The bond market, hmm, some eyes are on the bond market, has had just three down years in the last 40 years. That's 1978 to 2017. However, the bond market, it's uh, think about it now, only three down years the last 40 years. However, the bond market is down 2.1% year-to-date total return through last Friday of October the 12th. So that's uh, Bloomberg Barclays gives us that information. Here's something from the Census Bureau. When I read this, I thought, you've got to know this. This is important. There are 102 cities in China with a population of at least a million people. The largest Chinese city, Shanghai, 22 million people. There are 10 cities in the United States with a population of at least 1 million. And the largest city in the United States, New York City, it has got 9 million. There's a lot of people in China, folks. A lot of people in China. Well, guess what? 
If you've got questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And to find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Just like us on Facebook. We'd appreciate that. Coming up, Rusty Leonard, Stewardship Partners, and Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan. We're going to be talking about the market and what can we expect for the fourth quarter. And what are the fundamentals for good, solid money management? I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Securian Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Inc. The views and opinions are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by a Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. You know, with all the eyes on the market, we are going to focus today on some very key questions. What are the causes of last week's freakout? I like that term. What has changed and what hasn't? Is this the beginning of a bigger and longer lasting sell-off? Is the bounce back just temporary? Well, what can we, the investor, expect from here? A frequent guest of ours, Daria Friend, Rusty Leonard, CFA founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you, Jim. Well, you know, Rusty, it's a pleasure you with you because we can dive into some thickness here about what's going on in the market timely. I tell you what, you must have triggered this last week because you knew you were going to be on the program today. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I wish I had such powers. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thought. I mean, you know, it was a volatile last week. I mean, most everybody, I don't think, got too concerned about it, but it did trigger some, you know, it's one thing when it maybe drops two or three, but when it gets down to this 4% line and moving and you sense that largeness of it, and is it is it a beginning of something? So really, what is this an occasional panic attack last week, or is this really going to be something we need to really get concerned about? Well, you know, I wish I could give you a 100% clear answer on that, but it's uh, yet to be seen, but I'll give you what I can, right? Uh, the last week's event was uh, largely, and you see, we're seeing more of these, you know, two and three and percent drops real fast, 5% in a couple of days. Uh, that's just something that's more frequent nowadays, and it's because of the, the type of investors that are out there. There's some very large investors uh, called CTAs and uh, risk parity funds and all kinds of funny names, and these guys control hundreds of billions, if not more than that, uh, in assets. And they're very stable investors normally, but when something changes like interest rates pop or uh, there's some uh, unexpected event in, on the earnings front or geopolitically or something that, uh, that affects their little equations, well, they just blow out of stocks immediately, and uh, and that causes these very rapid drops. But once that's done, things kind of go back to normal. <laughs> so, uh, so assuming that interest rates don't rise again, or you know, you don't have other issues that pop up, it may have just been an occasional panic attack. Because if you look at the general uh, picture right now, we're seeing third quarter earnings come in; they're very good uh, so far, and we expect them to continue to be good. The economy clearly is not near a recession. And um, there's no reason for the market to uh, have a longer-term freakout unless perhaps interest rates keep climbing. And that's the big big question out there, I'd say, right now, because as interest rates climb, it triggers the selling from these types of funds, and it also constrains the economy. And we're already seeing that some of that 
constraining of the economic growth that's happening because of the higher interest rates. Do you think it's because of the fact that uh, maybe Chairman Powell is maybe he's thinking a little bit about rising too fast, too far? Or I mean, is it is it that mindset? It's kind of the unnerving effect that we don't really know how he's going to react. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, well, he is the new uh, Fed chairman. You know, he's still in his first year, so the market doesn't have a good feel for him just yet. And so that is a concern that the Fed, I think it's probably one of the major concerns uh, for the market overall, is that the Fed may uh, induce a uh, monetary policy shock that they didn't intend by raising rates too fast, you know, too too soon. And uh, so that is a, a really important question. And the market is certainly pretty focused on that. And they have raised rates what, eight, eight or nine times now since, right. they, since the lows. And they're, if you look at the graph of it, you can see it's you know moving up pretty steadily, pretty quickly. Uh, the president you know, is complaining about it, uh, and I'm sure that's because he's in the real estate business, and the real estate business is the first one to kind of get kicked in the teeth by rising interest rates. And we're seeing that on uh, values of real estate in New York City and other uh, sensitive places where, uh, where the reaction to higher interest rates tends to happen more quickly. So there is there is some concern that the Fed's moving too fast. And, uh, you know, the Fed's not a bunch of idiots, though. They'll, they'll recognize they, they may make a mistake and you know, kind of, you know, go too fast uh, initially, but they'll recalibrate. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of Fed meetings uh, going forward, whether they keep on their pace of raising rates where they expect to raise, uh, you know, another three or four times here in the next year, or if they kind of slow that pace down. When you think about that and you look at it, let's let's take a step back. When you, how does this affect the global economy? How is that going at this stage or at this point? Can we kind of get relaxed a little bit with the global economy, or is it uh, maybe we shouldn't get too complacent? Yeah, I would. Uh, I'm always, uh, you know, being in this business for as long as I have, you, you never want to get complacent, uh, even though maybe there are times when you could. Uh, but this is probably not the time to get complacent. Obviously, the Fed is on the move, right? So they're doing stuff, and they and that may mean there 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 could be a reaction, as we just discussed. We also have uh, a situation where overseas the in, the interest rate increases in the U.S. are probably having more impact outside the U.S. than they are inside the U.S. right now. So we are seeing a deterioration in economic growth overseas, and of course, one of the big places. Uh, where we're most concerned about is China, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about some somewhere along the way here. But China, uh, between the tariff battles that are going on and the uh, higher interest rates and the constraint uh, on the constraints we're seeing occurring in global trade as a result of all these things, uh, you know, with their big debt load, they, there's an issue out there that they could blow up. So the bigger risk is not so much in the U.S. It's a blowback from a problem outside the U.S. as a result of U.S. policy. Pretty complicated, but that's the way. It, way it is. And uh, as the Fed raises interest rates, it affects companies all over the world, economies all over the world. If one of those happens to be the weak link in the economic chain and blows up, there could be some blowback into the United States, at least into the financial markets. That's a great point, uh, Rusty. If you just tuned in, of course, you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. And my guest, Rusty Leonard of Stewardship Partners, frequent guest of ours. And we're basically taking an, just an update on the economy, what's going on to, you know, be concerned about, maybe, maybe not. And I guess the big question that a lot of people talk about, Rusty, and again, it's kind of one of those things where it doesn't seem to be affecting us China can feel the pressure from it. Their market has reacted to tariffs. 
are we getting this? Is this should this be something that we should be allowing ourselves to talk more about from a serious market correction? The tariff being the pop problem we've got. Well, you know, there's a lot of folks who look at history and say, "Oh my gosh, this is kind of shaping up like uh, you know just before World War II, and right? The Nineteen the nineteen twenty nine, uh, you know, market crash led to the Great Depression. You know, back then Hoover was pushing, uh, you know." constricting trade and trying to protect against outside influences on the on the US side and a lot of people say that triggered the great depression. So uh so it's something you you know I don't know if those uh connections are accurate at this stage of the game but you know we need to pay attention to it just in case they are. Uh I don't think uh, as we've seen already with with President Trump and his negotiations with Canada and Mexico, he's more than willing to use threats to beat on them to get can, to gain concessions on the trade front. And as we saw in those two situations where we have a new NAFTA, although he calls it something else, uh, new NAFTA treaty with Canada and Mexico, uh, you know, Canada and Mexico aren't screaming that much about it. They the concessions they made were not gigantic. Uh, they were in our you know in advantage the U.S. Somewhat, but it's not game-changing stuff that's going to crush their economies. And it's the same thing with China. Uh, he's using every power of his negotiating skills he can, uh, and interest rates, higher interest rates, may be playing into that because uh, certainly they—that's probably hurting China more than the, uh, you know, the tariff threat. Mm-hmm. So between the, those things, uh, I think he's just negotiating for a better deal with China. And I think in the end, the more than likely outcome is that, you know. There will be some kind of settlement. It'll, you know, there'll be a lot of rancor and noise just prior to the settlement being reached. Uh, it'll seem very scary and disconcerting. The stock market may react to that uh, temporarily, but then all of a sudden, the next day, you'll have a deal. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, China's not going to die as a result of the deal. We're going to benefit somewhat, and that that'll likely be the outcome, just as it was with Mexico and Canada. Well, let me switch the subject to just a second, because, again, we've talked about tariffs. We talked about monetary policy, the freak out from last week. But I really think we've, we're in the earnings right now, third quarter earnings and corporate earnings are doing great. Uh, they seem that seems to have pushed the market somewhat this year. If we got the companies that are making a lot of money, they're hiring people. I mean, unemployment rates, record lows. They're doing research and development. There's just that's positive for the market. I have two questions here. Can this level of the corporate profits is it sustainable? And if we're doing that, my next question is I want you to talk about wages because that doesn't seem with inflation creeping up, wages don't seem to be, you know, going faster than inflation. So it's a two part question. I'm probably confusing you, but it's hard to do. You're right on it. (laughs) Bottom line is corporate earnings are up. But I want to know where we're going with wages. Talk about corporate earnings. Is that sustainable? Uh, short term, yes. Uh, certainly, there's no indication that corporate earnings are about to uh, fall off the edge of the earth at this stage. Or I shouldn't say there's very few indications of that. Um, so corp- corporations are doing great. Uh, the growth that we're going to see in corporate profits in 2019 is not going to be anywhere near the big jump we saw in 2018, but it's still going to be higher probably unless – we do start to see greater signs of recessionary uh, impact here in the U.S. Uh, or something goes bad overseas, as we say, there's a risk of. So I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident that in the short run, these are sustainable levels of corporate earnings. In the long run, we're at very high levels of, of uh, profit margins for corporations. And, you know, that just 
that's probably not going to be sustainable over the long run. There will be something somewhere along the way that will upend the beautiful situation that corporations have right now, and there'll be at least some pressure on corporate profits coming from some direction. And one of the directions it's most likely to come from is wages. And uh, as we know, wages have been increasing under President Trump. Things have been moving up quickly. But just recently, the inflation rate, is, as you mentioned, has run up as well, leaving those wage increases after inflation being pretty close to zero. So uh, so when the workers kind of realize that, they're going to say, hey, this is, uh, this is not good. I, I, need, I need more because, you know, the job market is super tight. You know, you can't find good workers at this stage of the game. And, uh, and so the, the corporations, if they want to keep growing or keep, you know, operating at the level they're operating at or, or, you know, even do a little bit better than that, they're going to have to pay up to get the right people. And so I could easily see that those corporate profit margins come under uh, stress as a result of higher wage gains that will hopefully exceed the inflation uh, rate in the um, in the months to come and the quarters to come. The the big risk on the higher wage gains though is that the Federal Reserve, when they see that, they say, "Oh my gosh, that's inflationary." Uh, you know, on a long term perspective, we need to raise rates again. So there's there's all these feedback mechanisms that you have to take into account. It may feel good for a while to have the higher higher uh, wage rates, but then. You know, the Fed might make a monetary policy mistake by jacking rates up too fast and send us into a recession. So, you know, it's a multivariate equation, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's it's hard to balance it. But again, that's that's what makes this economy work. It's it's a balancing act. And you are talking about a fine line. Do you feel, though, that, that we headed into a good I mean, last week we talked about small business optimism, and it's huge. It's great. In fact, it's set a record since we've been tracking it for August. Then you come back and look at consumer optimism, strong. Are we going to have a great retail? We're headed into the Christmas season. Is this going to be a great retail finish? Sure, it looks like it. As long as the stock market doesn't crash and burn, uh, it would sure appear to be that. All the elements are there for it. Uh, you know, everybody's employed who wants to be employed almost. Uh, there's just money flowing all over the place. Uh, the stock market, even though it took a kick in the teeth last uh, week, is still up uh, for the year and still, you know, up over the last 10 years, uh, and almost 10 years, not quite 10 years yet. But it's uh, it's been a big, long economic recovery, and the consumer is actually in much better shape in the past you know, past peak periods, the consumer would have too much debt and, you know, look shaky. That's not the case this time. Uh, the consumer has taken care of his own balance sheet much better than in the past. It's actually the corporations that have uh, loaded up on debt and the foreign countries that have loaded up on debt, like China. Those are the ones that, uh, that they're the weak links in the chain, but the U.S. consumer is in a pretty good spot. So I think the kids are going to find a lot of fun stuff underneath the Christmas tree this year. That's good. That's good to hear. I've got to keep that in mind. I've got five grandkids, so I've got <laughs> to make this. Yeah, yeah that's good. Too. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Now, let me let me ask you this because I mean, you don't uh, listening to this, and I want to ask those two parts to this question: Are you seeing any serious economic signs or financial problems? Are you uh, there's this measuring stick? If I looked at Rusty Leonard on a scale of one to ten, optimistic ten, pessimistic one. Where's Rusty? Uh, six and a half on the uh, <laughs> optimistic side of the equation. <laughs> you know, that's uh, yeah. we always do that, Rusty. When you're on the program, we always said, Rusty, now was Rusty, was he optimistic today or what? So a good six and a half. All right. So, but you're saying you don't see signs of serious problems. You're pretty much, there is a certain amount of optimism, but it's like you always say, the market is the market. You know, it can change tomorrow. 
It certainly can. But the uh, and as we saw last week, right? I mean, you lost five percent in you know forty eight hours, and there wasn't really a, a, a you know really great reason for that, other than the fact that stocks had done pretty well and they were overdue for a, a correction. And so once it gets started, everybody piles in and freaks out in the short run. But it's uh, looked more like to me that looked more like a panic attack than a something that was going to start a, a larger and greater sell-off. So I'm still on the optimistic side, but there are concerns out there, and there always will be. So you need to be – you don't want to get too optimistic because that will cause you to make uh, – you, know, you start borrowing and buying stocks on margin or some other foolish thing like that, and uh, you'll get yourself in big trouble. But we do need to remember, too, that this, this is almost a 10-year economic recovery, one of the longest ever and one of the longest bull markets ever as well. And so, you know, we're not in the early days. You have to, I'd probably be be much higher than six and a half if this was the second year of of the stock market's recovery or the economic recovery. But we're, this is, you know, an older one. And as time passes, excesses build up and that need to be corrected. And that usually happens via recession. So uh, I don't see a recession on the horizon, but I just want to be cognizant of the fact that this is not a young economic or stock market uh, recovery. It's pretty Cautiously optimistic. I'd say that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> well, 31 years ago, coming up, you know, we had a big Black Monday, and the market dropped 20.5%. But by the end of the year, it was up. You know that? I mean, the whole reality was it ended up being up 5.3%. So we kind of celebrate that this week. Let me ask you this. What will happen with the midterm elections? Before you go, i got to get your uh, political thoughts <laughs> here. Is it going to impact the market? Uh Yes, uh, and it will impact the market because no matter what the outcome, we'll know it'll, it'll take the uncertainty away. And what has typically been seen historically is no matter who wins, once the elections are over, even a little bit before the elections are over, because sometimes the market senses which way it's leaning, uh, the market starts to recover. And of course, the end of the year is a seasonally good time of the year for the market anyway. There's about an 80% chance that the market's going to rise in November and December. So once you get the elections behind you, you know what the rules of the game are. The market will understand that, adapt, and probably move forward. Well, you've been listening to Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a frequent guest of ours, does a great job for us. And, Rusty, as always, we appreciate the update on the economy. Thank you, sir, and you have a great week. And you as well. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Again, we're listening, of course, that this program is designed to give you some education to entertain you. And coming up after the break, we have Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan, and we're going to talk about common questions that you might ask about the market, things that we understand. And we're going to talk about those in light of what Rusty's just shared with us. We're going to try to give you our thoughts and how we want to help you make sure those questions make sense for you. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, as I said earlier, with all the eyes on the market, we're trying to focus on some key economic and financial questions that you might have. What are the causes of last week's freakout? Well, Rusty helped us with that. What has changed? What hasn't? Is this the beginning of a bigger or longing-lasting sell-off? Is the bounce back just temporary? Well, what can we, the investor, expect from here? Those are questions that, you know, we thought about this and said, okay, this is kind of the questions we hear. You ask us a lot about it. But you know what the number one question is? I mean, it seems like it just hangs out 
out there. It's a cloud. It's there. It's real. And we certainly understand it. The question I'll ask you as far as what comes back, let me introduce these two guys, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Jim. You know, guys, let me start with this. And, uh, you know, I'll just go with you, Scott. We'll start there and say, you know, this is the question that kind of hangs out. It's kind of the client walks in and they don't ask it immediately. But as they're investing and working through this process and, you know, is the bounce back going to happen? Is this the beginning of a longer and lasting sell off? That's questions that we might ask and answer. But the question that becomes the proverbial number one question, will 2008 happen again? Yes, we hear that that kind of question in one way or another a lot, Jim. And that's a, that's a question that, first of all, we have to clarify what somebody means by that question. It does mean different to again? different people. Uh, you know, did the client lose money? Were they just very frightened or anxious with all the uh, headlines and news out there? So first of all, clarifying that question is the first thing. But if the if the question is, could the market be down again? I would say the answer is emphatically yes. I could make that prediction that we will see a downturn at some time in the future. And again, that's just the normal market. That's that right. is the normal market. When we talk about that, when it's hard to say if somebody says, Will that happen? The question going back, is the bounce back that occurred just temporary? Uh, what can we expect from here? Well, will 2008 happen again, and when will it happen again? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We really don't know when it's going to happen again or if it's going to happen again just the same way that it happened before. Uh, something like it will probably happen again at some point, but we don't know when. Uh, but I think that means different things to different people because um, we're talking about investments and a lot of people think about retirement and such, but for a lot of people, it meant not that so much, but am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my home? Um, and at that point, it, it kind of becomes moot about the investment uh, part of it because the needs are more are more near term. You know, that's a great point because, I mean, we have a tendency, even on this show, to sometimes focus on the equity side, the market or bond market or whatever, but it really 2008 affected people uh, with their jobs, their homes. I mean, we we saw over a million people lose their homes in 2010, you know, and uh, foreclosures in one month, and uh, th- you know that's a real big deal. I mean, I was just reading that this morning on a Barclays re- report that I was reading, and I mean, you think about it. People losing their homes, that really becomes a real, that affects you in so many areas of what's going on in your life when that takes place. So we don't have any idea when it's going to happen. And we always tell people past performance is never an indication of future results. And we just have to keep that in mind. It's just the nasty, nasty now and now of the market. There is a certain amount of volatility. And then when we talk about what's changed or what hasn't, all those questions. So I guess here's what we try to tell people. And I want you to help me with this, Drew, or Scott, both of you. But people have this tendency to say, well, if I know the market is going to be volatile, coming down, going up, can I time the market? Can I pick when I can get in it? Can I pick when I get out of it? That is, uh, we boy, if there's one thing that we hear a lot, it's that. And, and I wish it were easy to do. It's just one of those things that's very, con- very difficult to be consistently accurate, to know when to get in, when to get out. Uh, emotions get in the way. Fear and greed get in the way. It's a very tough thing to do. We don't know the future. It's uh, the economy's always throwing us surprises. So 
those events are hard to time. So we, we believe in just using correct financial principles and trying to weather those storms. And it's so, a lot easier to be certain that times are bad than it is to be certain that times are good. And so when people are trying to go in and out of the market the way that a lot of people uh, try to do, uh, they always feel certain about when the, when they get out, but then they they wait too long because they're not really sure when to get back in, and you got to have both of those things right, and you have to do it consistently over and over and over again. And I don't know anybody that has shown a successful track record at doing that. Well, we also talk with money managers that do some type of, you know, trying to, they try to catch the upside and the downside. They do some timing from that standpoint, but that's their that's their discretion. And they're doing that on a, on a different analysis than mine to be in the market or out of the market. So there is some of that timing there, but it's done inside the particular fund manager working through what he's looking at. And they work tirelessly tried to catching the upside potential and limiting the downside risk. And we've talked about that. We actually have started using some managers that do specifically those types of that type of. And again, that's giving them some discretion from that standpoint. Let me let me do this then from your standpoint. If you talk about the market is going to go down again, have another 2008. Guys, can can you describe to me the 2008 correction recession from a standpoint of how we both live through that and how we understand that. And, Drew, you did such a good job talking about losing a home or losing your job or something like that. But how does a person handle that mindset when they think about that internal, you know, the anxiety that goes on with that, Drew? What do you, what do you tell somebody with that? Uh, well, it's real easy to get caught up in the news cycle. It's real easy to lose sight of what your goals are. Um, you mentioned a bit ago about has anything changed? It's like, well, the one thing that hasn't changed is none of us are getting any younger. Uh, we all have to worry about retirement. We all have to worry about uh, what provisions we're making for health care, for other expenses as we as we grow older. None of that changes because we go through another recession, because we have another 2008-like experience. And so we have to make sure that we are already doing what we need to be doing with our money, making sure we have that wiggle room on our budgets uh, to account for a tightening that will invariably occur uh, as the economy goes through the cycles that it does. So we're saying that, and uh, I guess uh, looking at it, Scott, would you, how would we talk to someone about that? I mean, I guess the question is, if you understand that you're thinking about a downturn, how do you prepare for that without getting too conservative? But before you answer that, I'll come back. I want to take a break. We'll come back with that answer because I'm thinking, okay, if a person says, We're going to have another 2008. How do you prepare without really becoming so conservative that you're not taking advantage? That's important. So how do you prepare without losing sight of what your goal is, according to what Drew says? I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is KWAM 990 FM 107.9, The Voice, Memphis and the Mid-South. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Ida Wells was notorious in her time. She was a slave when she was born in 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi. But when the Civil War ended, she was able to begin attending school as a former slave through the Freedmen's Bureau. When she lost both parents to the yellow fever epidemic at the age of 16, she took a job as a teacher and moved to Memphis. 
After two incidents in which she was thrown off trains for sitting in the all-white sections, a circuit court judge ruled in her favor and awarded her $500, but his decision was later overruled by the Tennessee Supreme Court. Wells also worked as a journalist during this time, and after receiving death threats in response to her reporting of local lynchings, she moved north, first to New York and later to Chicago, and continued to write and speak publicly about the ongoing racial violence in the South. Although not as well known as Dr. Martin Luther King, Wells is revered today as an important leader in the civil rights movement. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. All right, Scott, before the break, we were talking about if a person, the proverbial question, will 2008 happen again? As we've listened to Rusty, Rusty Leonard earlier in the program, you know, what caused last week's freak out? What changes or what hasn't changed? What's changed? What hasn't changed? Is this the bigger or longer lasting sell off? Is this just temporary? Uh, how, what can I expect for the future? We listened to Rusty. He said he's about a six and a half on the scale of optimism, one to 10, and uh, cautiously, optimistic. So how does a person prepare? I'm thinking now, I'm just talking to you. How does a person prepare mentally when they think about the market they need to be invested? Back to Drew's thought process, retirement, they've got a plan, they got all that going on. But but again, I mean, last week can create some anxiety. Absolutely. How what would you say to somebody? Well, I think I think you bring up an excellent point because whenever the market is going through anything, you know, like last week or especially 2008, you can bet one thing for sure: the magnitude of the noise is going to be intense, and it's going to create fear, anxiety in people, and that can tend to lead to some bad investment decisions. So, the way we help people prepare for that is, first of all, you know, we have a well-developed process for putting all the pieces of the financial puzzle together. So we're we're getting to the why we're investing first, and then we're then we figure out how we're going to invest, and we use time-tested principles. You know, you a you have to plan for and expect downturns. So if you have a strategy ahead of time, you're a lot more likely to stay the course when those times do come come into play. Uh, wait the downturns out, see them as buying opportunities. You know as well as I do that we believe in the time-tested principles of asset allocation, diversification, and then rebalancing the portfolio. So I think I. Uh, you know, plan for those downturns. Know there's going to be a lot of noise that's going to be anxiety creating. Have a good strategy ahead of time and make sure that you know why you're investing so you can stay focused on those long term goals. Well, you've covered an enormous amount of information real quick. So let me step back for just a second. And I think you, you hit us with some, some very deep provoking, thought provoking thoughts. But there's this attitude and approaches and actions and the omissions that we kind of get into, we can omit any part of that, and all of a sudden it can hurt our results. So let me ask you this. There's that there's that thought process that so many people, and Drew, I, I guess I want to know, how would you share with someone when they're caught into this, I don't know a better way to say it, but herd mentality where they're talking and they get they're they're at church, they're at a, a party, they're at the the uh, you know the uh, tailgating at the ball game or something, and somebody's talking about it this and this and this. How do you manage that following the herd? 
Well, I think it's true of a lot of things that when you're talking about the herd mentality, by the time you've heard about it, the majority of the profit that can be had from following that advice has already happened. Um, you're just getting in on that, that final marginal piece, but you're not really participating in what made it a story in the first place. And it's like what Scott was talking about with it being a buying opportunity. When you see the markets go down, professional money managers love that because it means that the stuff that they wanted to buy is now on sale. That's not easy to do, though, when everybody else... You know, it's one thing when you talk about following the herd. It's one thing when when people are buying a, a car or buying a dishwasher or a washing machine or a lawnmower or something. Everybody said, well, this is what I bought. That's fine. But you have to be careful when everybody else is doing something. You're talking about the lost opportunity there. Somebody says it's usually too late. But let me ask you this. If I'm going to make that happen, and I guess, Scott, you talked about it, somehow staying on track of what you said you wanted to do Get away from the news media. Get away from all that stuff that you're hearing and staying on track. Explain that specifically for me. Well, I think, you know, when we sit down with any investor, we're first of all, we're looking at the goals. We're trying to figure out that why. And then we're looking at, you know, what, how much time do we have to accomplish those goals? And then, you know, the final piece of that puzzle is really looking at, you know, what is their tolerance for risk? How are they going to react during these times of downturn? And once we figure out all those pieces of the puzzle, it's putting together a portfolio that historically has a high probability of helping us reach those goals, right? And then from there, it's a matter of not getting caught up in those following the herd and those emotional decisions and staying the course and, and knowing that over time we have a good a high probability of achieving our goals. I've heard you use the word discipline. And uh, Drew, I've heard you use the word discipline when it comes to investing. Does that stop the herd thought? Does discipline help us stop the following of the group? It may not stop the herd thought, but it might help stop the herd act. Uh, if you if you know in advance uh, how you're planning to react to a given set of circumstances, as many of them as you can narrow down as you possibly can, uh, you're going to be less likely to panic when those circumstances actually happen. Your own your your emotions can be your own worst enemy in that situation. Well, you mentioned emotions. That was my next thought. What about the person, Drew? You mentioned it. I mean, Scott, you mentioned it. Where all of a sudden the media noise just just it gets heightened. It did last week. It always does. What about the emotional investor? I mean, emotions are very hard to control. Yeah, you know, we've said it time and time again, emotions are the enemy of any, any good investment strategy. And, you know, we're talking a lot about the downside emotions, but even recently we've seen a lot of those upside emotions kind of take over as well. You know, you've, hear, you've heard it probably referred to as the, the fear and greed roller coaster. You know, when times are real good, people tend to want to abandon those disciplines because they're hearing people say, oh, man, I made X percent in my portfolio last year. And you know, I only earned X. And so it's you start to see the other side of that coin. And the flip side of that is during the tough times. You know, that's when people tend to want to abandon their discipline and their investment strategy and, and abandon ship and, and run for the hills when fear takes over. You so. know, it, that is so crucial for us to help people understand. When emo, when you know emotions are a part of an invest, emotions and investing shouldn't, we shouldn't use those in the same sentence, you know, those two words. But we do, especially when you're watching the media, watching television or something, the news, and, and it's so dramatic, and they paint such a picture. But it's hard. I mean, we understand. I think for those Very of you difficult. listening, emotions, 
is so difficult, and I appreciate what you guys have said, that, that having a disciplined plan, it doesn't affect, maybe as you said, Drew, it, you can see it, you can feel it, but it can stop you if you just, it'll check you if you've got a real disciplined plan. That's right. That's right. And it, it can really help you to put some of the volatility out of your mind uh, to know that you're doing all of the right things in other areas that you've budgeted properly, that you have insurance, that you're taking advantage of what you can with your with your job and so forth. You have the, the family support that you need, that you have all the things in place, then suddenly the, the investment part becomes a piece of the pie rather than the, the pie itself. I like the way you put that. You've looked at an overall plan. Scott, you mentioned that a while ago. You got the emergency fund if you lose your job. Be sure you've set aside some money for that. So a lot of things have been put together. So when you have 2008 again, or if we have 2008 again, you're not out there just exposed to all the things that comes along with that. That's important. That's very important. You mentioned three things a while ago, and I'm going to come back to those. And we talked about diversification, and you mentioned something called rebalance. When I come back, I want to really dive into that and help our listening audience to understand really the whole idea behind suitable diversification and understanding what rebalance really does. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to KWAM 990 and FM 107.9, The Voice. And this is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. You know, when we talk about investing, when we talk about the whole idea behind someone building a portfolio, trying to put, whether it's your retirement portfolio, whether it's your education, whatever you're trying to do, bottom line is you're trying to make sure that you're staying focused and that you're disciplined, that you're not following the herd, that you're not becoming an emotional investor. But let me say this, past performance is always, never Never an indication of future performance. So you have to take into consideration that we're not trying to give you individual specific advice. If you've got a question for one of these two guys, give them a call at 757-5757 if you want to ask your specific question to them. We're trying to give you the 30,000-foot view to kind of give you some ideas of what to not do or what to do. Rusty Leonard gave us a complete economic update, and we're trying to help you with questions and concerns that you have as a result of knowing what it means for last week to look like a 500-point drop in the market, 800 points. All of a sudden, it gives you that anxiety that comes because you're invested in your 401k plan or you're invested in a college education plan for the new junkster that's at home. Those are things that always gives us that sense of, oh, my goodness, I'm vulnerable. I don't know what to do. So, Scott, I want you to, you mentioned two words, diversification and rebalance. Even though I know exactly what that means, I want you to help our listening audience to understand the importance and the fact that it doesn't eliminate risk. Absolutely. So one of the things we do to try to manage risk is, you know, we start with an asset allocation strategy. And in broad terms, that's just, you know, how much are we going to have in stocks or equities versus bonds versus cash? And then among those uh, broad asset classes, how are we going to diversify? You know, are, you know, we're going to have some exposure to international. You know, what sectors are we going to have exposure to? Uh, what geographies, things like that. So, start with asset allocation and diversification. And once we've determined, now again, let me back up a second. All of that is based on somebody's goals, 
their time horizon, and their risk tolerance. So once we've established that strategy, that's where the rebalance parts comes in. And, and what that is, that's a discipline of, you know, we like to do that at a minimum annually, sometimes more often, and that's where you're basically selling off some of the winners and buying some of the losers in the portfolio and rebalancing it back to that original asset allocation. Uh, for example, if we said we're going to have 60% in equities and uh, 40% in bonds or fixed income type investments, when those equities do well, that can get out of balance. You know, it, it can become where it's 70% equities and 30% bonds. So it's just the discipline of, of, of reshifting that portfolio back down to that original allocation and sticking with the strategy that we determined was appropriate. So simple diversification, just easy, understandable diversification, and understanding the idea of rebalancing. It doesn't remove risk it helps you manage risk and absolutely people and, do understand and, and that's that's an important point because diversification a doesn't guarantee the highest rate of return and it also doesn't guarantee against loss but it does help mitigate the risk of downturn okay yeah, he used those words there guarantee so i have to be careful with those words that's tough words. i said does not <laughs> guarantee <laughs> i got you not i got you drew we talk about this a lot and you do a great job with this whole idea about not making things so complicated keeping things simple help us understand what you mean by that well, I mean, you you can really go a long way toward making a portfolio way more complicated than than you need to. Trying to have all these different strategies for different holdings and such, when really, if you if you leave a lot of those decisions up to the professional money managers who eat, sleep, and breathe this each and every day, uh, you can take a lot of your own headaches out of the equation and say, I'm going to have this much and and this and that much and that. And I'm going to rebalance regularly, uh, which means we're not just having it in the in just the one or two of the major stock indices. We actually have it spread out over a broad array of different investments. I mean, the fact is, most people don't have the emotional temperament to just be in some of those big stock indices. So unless we came across something like we're saying, oh, it's really easy, it's simple, anybody can do it. No, we're talking about doing it according to a diversified plan. Uh, where you're invested in what's appropriate to your situation, uh, to your goals, and then doing rebalancing. That is about as simple a plan as you can as you can have. You know, and I guess I want to think about this. So many people think, well, I don't have enough money, Scott, to invest. I don't have enough to get. What does it take to start investing? And again, whether it's that 18, 19, 20-year-old high school, college kid thinking about it, or you're 55, 65, 75, what is that? What's that amount? The, well, you can start investing with very little money. I mean, some funds have initial buy-ins, and a lot of them are very low, or it may be $250. But even that, you can start putting money into an account, you know, putting $25 a month, whatever you can afford to do. And as it builds up to enough where you can buy a share, you can do that. So you can get started with very little money. And uh, I think you've heard the old saying, you know, the best time to plant an oak tree is 25 years ago or today. So getting started early is important, but getting started whenever you can, just just get going, get moving in the right direction. So if a granddad happens to have a grandson or granddaughter, he could say, we're going to learn how to invest and he could start and that'd be a way of teaching. And that's just Absolutely. a good, and it allows them to see the volatility. You know, so many times you got people that start investing and it's all during an uptime. They don't really remember what it means to feel the 
pain, as you might say, the anxiety of what happens when it's a downturn. Let me ask you this, guys, because you talked about, you know, balancing, rebalancing, being diversified, the reality of, you know, not keep making things complicated, Drew. You said keep it simple. But what about this whole idea, and you guys brought it up, the failure to stick to a strategy. Talk about that, Scott. I want to understand it. I want you to help me with it. This is key to any investment strategy. You know, it's it's about, again, going back to just linking, figuring out the why you're investing, linking your investing to your goals. That is so important because without that strategy, you know, the idea or the goal becomes winning, which in today's world means probably outperforming an index of some sort. And that can lead to all that negative behavior we spoke of following the herd, emotional investing, all those things. So having a strategy that is based on your goals, your time horizon, your tolerance for risk is key, is key to your accomplishing your uh, short-term, long-term, and mid-term goals. Well, let me ask you this, and then we'll kind of move on because we've got to go. But uh, but if you really ask me to ask you this, Drew, what would you say about a strategy? Well, if you have a good strategy, it's going to keep you from making all the other big mistakes that are out there, like following the herd, like being an emotional investor, uh, hanging on too long when you shouldn't, not being diversified. Uh, it's going to keep you from making all those other mistakes. So a strategy ties you together. That's right. Makes a lot of sense. You've been listening, of course, to Talk Money on The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guests have been Rusty Leonard, Stewardship Partners, Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan of Shoemaker Financial. If you'd like to talk to these guys, give them a call at 757-5757. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.